I want to I just want to read something for you in 1st John John reminds us chapter 3 how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and in him I'll back up but you know that he appeared uh, children of God and that is what we are the reason the world does not know us is it doesn't know it did not know him dear friends now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known but we know that when he appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure and that's one of the best ways and one of the best reasons to celebrate communion which we're going to do in a moment but uh, to be to be reminded that he did something so significant for us that it changed everything changed my life still is and we're grateful for his uh, his uh, time of, of uh, that we have time to celebrate together. Would you stand as I pray for us and, uh, and we greet one another, but I just want to pray, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will just come and permeate our atmosphere today. You are here. You gave us the promise where there's two or three, and, and Lord, there's a lot more than that. But best of all, you said where there's two or three gathered in my name, I will be there. And so, Lord, you're here and we're grateful. As we greet one another this morning, I pray, Lord, we'll, we will do it sincerely in the hope and in the expectation that every heart will be filled, every need will be met. And we'll give you the praise as you begin that process already. In Jesus' name, amen. And at this time, I'm going to invite Pastor Lance to come forward. We're going to pray, and then he's going to bring the word that God has placed on his heart. And I'm excited, Lance. You've shared with me pieces of this message, and we're just we're ready for whatever it is the Lord's placed on your heart. So will you extend your hand towards Lance? We're going to pray together and ask for God's blessing over this time. Father, thank you for the word that you've placed on Lance's heart. I pray, Father, that in this room you would settle this place so that the Spirit of God would move freely in the hearts and lives of people, eliminate distractions, eliminate things the enemy would want to do. We ask, Father, that you would have this time completely and wholly unto your attention, and we thank you for the word you've given, Lance. Help us to receive this word with great thanksgiving and on good soil to apply it into our lives. Speak through Lance now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, it is a, pl a privilege and an honor to be here. Um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited for what God has in store for today. And uh, while preparing for this message, it's, it's unique how God works, okay? I love it because, see, he, he downloaded this message to me actually last week, Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, and I couldn't sleep, and, and I was up at... 4.30 in the morning, tossing and turning, and 
just to see how God works. And I love it because in that, you know, so often I, I like to put my own words, and I'm like, all right, God, like, use me. Use what I have. And God's like, no, you use what I give you. And I love that because, man, it is so powerful and so much better than I could ever imagine. And, uh, and in that, today I want to talk about um, a term called grace. And my definition of it is unmerited favor. And how so often we don't ever deserve what God has given us. I know for me, like, I don't deserve all that God has given me. You know, I don't deserve to, to stand up here with, with two, two kids and a wife, and, but yet God has blessed me with those and given me those. And when I think of unmerited favor and I think of, of grace, I think of how when I don't deserve it and he gives it to me, how it is a blessing. And when Miranda and I were engaged, we got blessed by a family and uh, we were engaged and going to this college group. And I'll never forget it because they looked at us and, and I had just, we signed the lease for our apartment and they said, hey, do you guys have any furniture? Like, what are you guys going to sit on? What are you guys going to eat at? And I was like, no, we're going to go look for stuff and buy stuff. And as we sat there and talked with them at this college group, they said, no, like, hold on. You see all this furniture in this living room, we're actually getting rid of. And all the stuff that's in the basement, we're going to bring up because we're turning the basement into, into, into a main suite. So they said, hey, I want to give you all this furniture. And we're like, no, like, how much do you want from it? Because it was heavy and expensive. And they said, nothing. It's yours. We want to bless you in your marriage. And I'll never forget that because as we entered into marriage, our whole apartment was furnished by this family and their son and their daughter-in-law. And we didn't deserve it. We never did. Um, I've known them for a long time, but even then, it was like, okay. They didn't have to give it to us. They could have made money off this, but they decided to give it to us. And we were very, very grateful for that. And in that, it's like, all right, God, you use them. And now we just pray that he uses us as well. And today I want to talk about a couple, a couple stories in the Bible. And as we talk about them, there's a, there's a couple stories. And we're going to open up first to Luke chapter 15. And this is called the lost chapter. It's referred to that because in there you have three different parables. And in there it's the lost coin, which they, they go and they seek until they find that lost coin. There's also... The, um, the lost sheep and how Jesus will leave the 99 to go find that one lost sheep. And the one we're going to look at today, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to paraphrase it, it is the lost son. And, and as we talk about, as we paraphrase it, the, the, some of the passages are up on the screen. And in this, we see that the dad, he had two sons. Okay, so I think of myself, and I'm like, All right, I got two boys. I love them. And the dad's a farmer. He, he has a lot of stuff and a lot of livestock and, and a lot of wealth in that. So with that also comes a lot of, you know, obviously responsibility and a lot of work. So for me, like, I'm not a farmer, obviously, but I can imagine what it's like for some of these farming families as they have two sons and they're working hard, they're faithfully working. The older son is the hardworking one who's going out and getting it. And the other son is like, yeah, I don't mind farming. But, you know, it's not, my, it's not my passion. So we see immediately the older son's faithful, and the younger one he wanted to leave. And, and in that, we see that in these verses, that if we, fa if we rewind, 
that the younger son says to his dad, Dad, I want my inheritance and I want it now. Now, my kids, if they can, when he said that, I'd be like, okay, here's a dollar for you and a dollar for you. But for this guy, I was like, I got a lot of money. I got a lot of things to like. So he, instead of like, you know what, I'm going to like scold you and, and discipline you, he's like, okay, here it is. I'm going to split my stuff up and here's your inheritance and here's yours. And if you've been around the church, you know this story. And the younger son decides to, to take his and he wants to leave. He wants to go out and do his own thing. And I think of my life and, and, and the other people's lives I know and how when we get to college and when we just graduate high school, like college is that freeing thing. And we're like, man, I can finally do what I want. I'm not under my parents' supervision. I can finally do whatever I want. And in that, the kid goes off and he goes to, I heard a preacher refer to as Vegas. And yes, the pastor just said Vegas from the pulpit. But he goes to this place and he says, you know what? Let's indulge in whatever I want. And he does. He indulges in the selfish desires of his heart, and he indulges in what only he can enjoy. So he walks away from everything his dad ever gave him, the blessings and everything. But there comes to a point to where he notices, my money is running out. And for every college kid in this room, eventually your money will run out, and you will have to get a job. It, it is what it is. Jake's shaking his head. He's like, yes, I'm there. I'm living back at home with mom and dad. Um, I'm kidding. But the kid knows this, my money's running out. What do I do? Well, I have to go get a job. So he goes and gets a job at Hogslat. It wasn't Hogslat, but he's working with these pigs and these livestock. And he sees in there that he, while he's working with them, he's cleaning the pens out. You know, I don't know what all pigs include. I just know that they have to eat, and you have to, be, you have to clean them out, the pens. So that's all I really know about pigs. That tells you my farming expertise. But he's cleaning out this stuff, and he sees the food as he's feeding these pigs. And he's like, man, that food looks so good. I am so hungry. I am so hungry. And you see on the screen right now, there's, there's two pictures. One of like the pig and them eating, and then one of a steak dinner. I'm a, I'm a steak guy. I love steak. But you see, this kid sees this food, and he's like, man, the pig's food looks delicious. And it says in the scriptures that he, when he came to his senses, and I think of this as like, he's looking at that food, and all of a sudden it clicked. I left a royal buffet that my dad would give me whenever I wanted. And now I want this. This junk. This nasty, dirty, smelly food. I left the steak and potatoes for this stuff that's covered in only, I don't even know what we covered in. And the food looked good. And when I picked this story up, in verse 20, it says, in Luke chapter 15, So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And I love that, because I can imagine this dad, right, standing there, his son's gone for a while, I don't, we don't know how long it is. But the dad's sitting there, and he's just, he sees his son, and I can imagine him kind of looking like, is that, I see a figure, it looks like a person coming. And at first, he, I imagine he's like, is someone coming to steal my stuff? Or, and then like, Oh, no, that looks like my son. That, that is my son. And I love that because he's seeking. He's seeking his son. Remember that. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Back in that culture, it was normal for the father to, to kiss the son, to, to hug him. 
And I can imagine the son running up. See, the son had already decided in his mind when he's coming back to his father, he's going to say, hey, dad, I'm nothing. Like, I don't want anything that you're going to give me. I want to be a servant because I don't deserve to be called your son really anymore because I decided that I knew better and I'm going to do my own thing. And this kid, I can imagine what he, he, he's thinking as he sees his dad running towards him like, oh man, is my dad going to hurt me right now? Is he going like, to come and like, thump me? Like, What's happening? Is he going to tackle me? And then when the dad comes up and gives his, dad this, his son this big warm embrace and hugs him and kisses him and holds him, I can imagine the son just standing there stiff as a board like, I don't know what to do. Like, what do I tell him? Does he know already? Like, I have no money. And I can imagine the son probably stunk. I mean, working with pigs. I drive by some pig farms, and I'm like, man, that stinks. You all laugh because you know it's true. And so the kid probably stunk. He was probably dirty. I'm assuming the dad saw as he's running up, but it didn't stop him. He ran up, and he hugged him, and he kissed him. And I love that. And as we continue, verse 22 says, The father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we have fattened. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and he has now returned to life. Or he was dead and now he is alive. He was lost but now he is found. So let the party begin. I love that because... He was dead, but now he is found. How many of us in our lives have we, we've been dead in our sin, and when we've crossed that line into faith, we were alive in Christ? See, because Christ is the only one that can awaken that in us. He's the one that can make us alive. And I love that because in my life, that was my story. I was dead, wandering, lost. But when God took a hold of me and said, Lance, stop, stop being a doofus. Like, let's go. Follow me and watch what I'm going to do. And in this story, the kid knows he doesn't deserve a feast. I know I don't deserve a feast. But yet the dad gives it to him like Christ gives us a feast. But, remember there's two sons, right? So the older son sees this and becomes very angry. Verse 28 says, the older son was angry and wouldn't go in. So the father came out and begged him. But he replied, All these years I've slaved for you, and you never once refused to do a single thing. A single thing you told me to do, I never refused it. And all the time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And I love, love, love the dad's response. It says in verse 31, his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. You have always been with me, and everything I have is yours. But we need to celebrate and be glad because your brother of yours was lost, and now he's found. He's dead, and now he is alive. Once again, we are dead in our, in our sin and our shame. And, and I think about back on baptism, baptism Sunday, couple weeks ago, and how people came to get baptized, and how when, when they got put under the water, they were dead. They were a, a slave to their sins, and when they came back up, how, how Christ washed them pure. 
okay? They've already made that decision to follow Christ, and they took that, one, that step one, they took that another step farther and said, I am going to get baptized today because I am a believer, and I want to be washed and cleansed of my sins once again. And I think of that when you come up out of the water, the cleansing power in that water. I look at another passage in Acts, and we're going to, before we dive into Acts chapter 9, I want to talk about Acts chapter 7. So we're going to look at a guy named Saul, who later was known as Paul, and as Russ and I were talking about this week, like, he enlightened me, he was like, hey, actually, if you look at it, like, Paul actually had two names, it's not that he changed his name, it's that he had two names. So Saul was his Jewish name, and and his his name that he was known by um, before, and Paul is actually his Roman name because in Rome that carries a lot more weight. So his ministry can be blessed in that. So when he's still known as Saul, if you look in, in chapter 7, we see him come onto the scene and, and Saul is this guy that if you're a Christian, you would flee the other way because he, he was known to persecute Christians. He was known to, to go out and to, and to throw threats at Christians. And scriptures never says that he murdered anybody, or that he killed anybody, but we know that because he persecuted them. And we see in, verse, er, in chapter 7 that he was there when Stephen, the first martyr, got killed. And it says that they were, the people who were stoning Stephen were putting their coats or their cloaks down at the feet of Saul. So Saul has some power. He has some authority. So if you saw Saul coming, man, you'd go running the other way. He was one of those guys that you see in an alley and you're like, yeah, I don't want to mess with him. It's kind of like Paul Abens. Like, if I see him in a dark alley, I'm going to go running the other way. So, we're going to pick it up in chapter 9 now. Meanwhile, in verse chapter 1, mean, verse 1, sorry, chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to, eager to kill the Lord's followers. He went to the high priest, he requested letters addressing to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of, the, of those who are following the way he, that he found along the way. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Verse 3, as he was approaching Damascus on the mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I can imagine if you're Saul, you've probably seen people who, who follow the way, as I say, or who follow Christ. You've probably seen them do some weird things, right? Like, oh, Jesus has talked to me. I've seen Jesus. And, and you can imagine what Saul's response is. Like, man, Really? And then all of a sudden this light shines around him and he, I imagine him just falling down in fear and shuddering like, what is going on? And then this loud voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I don't ever want to be in that spot to where God has to say, why are you persecuting me? Because man, that is a fearful spot. If we go on, Saul's response in in verse 5, Who are you, Lord? He questions it. Like, there's no other possible person this could be but you, Lord. It's like, who are you? Is it you, Lord? 
Because if so, like, man, he's, I imagine he's scared. I'd be. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. I'm the one you're persecuting, and I'm the one that's talking to you, and I'm all around you, so you cannot go anywhere. Imagine that shift that happened in that moment. And for some of us in our lives, that's when Christ took a hold of us as well. It's when Jesus came and he spoke to us, or we're doing something, and we see that Jesus saved us from something. So Saul has this, this on the road, he has this, he comes into an encounter with Jesus. Verse 7, the men who were with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked, him up, picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, and he did not eat or drink. Imagine those guys standing around him. Like, dude, what is going on? And then Saul gets up off the ground and he can't see. Like, dude, you were just, like, throwing threats at people, and now you can't see? What happened to you, man? Something weird. But now there were believers in Damascus, and there was one named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to State Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. So I, now we see persecuting Paul, who's also known as Saul, as praying Paul, or praying Saul. That journey that God had him on, and just like that. He's praying to God. Because he sees the power. He knows the power. And it says in verse 12, I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. See, Ananias knew, like, dude, he has this paper in his hand that says, because you're a believer, I can persecute you, and I can do whatever I want to you. And if you're Ananias, you're probably shaking in fear like, like Saul was. Because, you see, he's living in the fear of man now, though, Ananias. It's because he's like, whoa, whoa, Lord, like, hold the phone. Like, not me. I like my life. I know you're a faithful God, but you know what? He can kind of kill me, and the chief priests are okay with that. Like, if I'm wearing my options here, I like my life better right now. So I can imagine Ananias' response in this, like, Lord, no. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my name to the message, to the Gentiles, and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. See, so Ananias hears this, and he's like, whoa, 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 like, this dude who's breathing threats, who wanted to kill people, who was like, okay with it, who was kind of like, yeah, let's go. He's your chosen instrument? Why not me? I'm faithful. 
And this doesn't say in the Bible. I'm imagining what Ananias is saying, right? Like, I'm faithful, God. Why are you choosing him? But yeah, Ananias' faith moves him into action because he says, okay, he's your chosen instrument. I'm going to go. Because who am I to deny what God has already set into place in this man? You see, for our lives, God's speaking to us. God's using people to speak to us each and every day. He's using these, these little things in our lives, but yet it's our opportunity and, and it's our decision to either follow it and walk in that, like Ananias did, or to say, no, no, no. And for some of us, we're, we're thinking like, man, I should be the one that's the chosen instrument. Like Ananias, I'm, I imagine that crossed his mind. But I love that because this guy who, who was so bad, like he was a bad dude, but he's God's chosen instrument. That tells me that nothing I ever do will separate me from God and that nothing I ever do will make it so that God can never use me. It shows me that no matter how bad I think I am or how bad my past might be, that God can still use me and do what he wants to do in my life. And the power in that, the truth in that. So if we continue. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. After he ate some food, and he regained his strength. You see, for me, I, I look at that, and I say, okay. I look at these two stories, and I can see how they overlap. You see, I see Ananias as kind of the same as the Pharisees. And I didn't mention this before, and I should have, and forgive me for that. But when Jesus was telling the story of the lost coin and the lost scene, he was sitting with tax collectors, and the Pharisees had come in and kind of said, like, hey, like, look at this man sitting with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees heard these three parables as well, as well as the tax collectors of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, or the prodigal son. So the Pharisees had heard it, and they were kind of like Ananias, who was like, okay, Lord, like, I am the one who, who knows the law, who knows what's supposed to do. I'm the one that who knows everything. And, like, that's the Pharisees, right? And then I see Paul, or Saul, the same as kind of the lost son, and the, the same as, as a tax collector's, who he was sinning, living in sin, but yet he had this encounter with Christ on this road, or on this journey called life. And when Christ got a hold of them, how they radically changed. They radically changed. And today, I want to I wanna talk a little bit more about that, and how... Today, we are faced with, with every day, we're faced with a decision to either continue to walk on this path of sin and shame, of, of death and, and being lost. And how in that, God is saying, like, hey, like, I'm right there with you. See, I heard it spoken before that no matter how many steps you take away from God, he's always one step away. And there's this pursuit in these stories, this pursuit of the father going out to the son and saying, I love you and I care for you. There's a pursuit of, of Jesus pursuing Saul on that Damascus road and grabbing a hold of him. 
There's a pursuit each and every day of Jesus running behind you saying, hey, you can run, but I'm everywhere, and I love you so much, I'm going to keep going with you. And I love that, that vision because as we're running away, walking in our own sin and death, he's right there, right behind us, step by step, like, hey, the minute you turn around and decide, I'm done, he's there to embrace us like that father, to hug us, to kiss us and say, look what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw a party for you because I love you so much. We're going to celebrate. We're going to eat. It's going to be a feast. Like y'all thought Joe Niles' food was good. You just wait till the heavenly feast. Like that's some good food. And I'm excited for that feast. That's the feast that is awaiting for us when we decide to turn and follow Christ. That's the feast. I want to end with a story and then and then some response. And I'll never forget this, this moment in my life and in my family's life. See, it was around Christmas time, and my parents had just bought a house. I was in second grade. And in this, they, we moved out of a trailer park and into this house. And, and it was a nice house, and you can see the picture up there. And the tree's in the way. It's actually a plum tree. I still remember that tree. But it was this nice white house. And... As we moved into it, my parents had counted the cost. And they said, okay, I know what this is going to cost us. I know what the mortgage could cost. And there's a projection of the heat bill and whatnot. But anyways, they didn't, they didn't really think too much about it, I guess. I don't know how it all worked out. I was in second grade. But I'll never forget it because it was around Christmas time. My parents were, were talking about presents. Like, hey, how are we going to pay for these presents for our kids? And I'll never forget, like, as they were talking, it got more heated and, and just that exchange. And fast forward a couple days, and we're all sitting in the living room, and all of a sudden, <laughs> parents go open up the door, and those people stand there with these, bo- with these bags and boxes. Hey, we're from the church. Um, we heard about your hardship. It's Christmas time. We want to bless your family with these gifts. I'll never forget that because my mom looked at my dad, and just shook her head like, why? Why? See, yeah, they, they sang in the choir at church, and they were faithful, but like, up until this point, they weren't, they weren't like stellar members. But they were, for them, they were like, why? And I'll never forget, they said, you know, we just, we just want to bless you guys, because no kid should have to go Christmas without presents. And I'll never forget the look in my mom's face when she turned around. Tears flowing down her eyes. And just the heartwarming that that was. And looking at that as a kid, I was like, man, that's what love is. And I looked past her and I saw the presents. I'm like, yes, presents for me. Let's open them now. My parents like, no, let's wait. And I tell that story for one reason, one reason only. Because you see, at our, at our heart's door, there's someone knocking. And that's Christ. And he's saying, open the door for me because I have these presents and these blessings for you. And it is up to you to take hold of them and to accept them. But you see, we don't ever fully receive the present until we open it and enjoy in it the blessings that's in that present. For us today, we're faced with that decision. Christ may be knocking on your heart saying, open the door and let me in. Let me do what I, I'm called to do. For some of us, we, we may have grown up in the church and we, we've walked away from our faith. 
For some of us, we may have said, you know, I'm the prodigal son. I grew up in all these blessings, and I don't want that really right now. We've walked away from our faith, but now we're seeing like, oh, the junk and the nasty food in my life that I'm eating up is nothing compared to the feast that is awaiting me when I'm in God's blessing and when I'm with Christ. And for other of us, we've been half in, half out. Kind of like, you know what? Like, I come to church, that's good enough, right? Like, what, do I, what else do I need to do? And see, God doesn't want only a little bit of you. He wants all of you. And if you fast forward into Saul's life when he's Paul, he goes out and, and I love it how it says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name because Paul later gets imprisoned. Like, he kind of faces a lot of persecution for being a Christian now. So the persecutor is now being persecuted. Like, ooh. But his response to that is, I could want nothing less because it's such an honor to be with Christ. And I love that. And for some of us, we've maybe, maybe never taken that step into faith. Maybe we're like the tax collectors who didn't know that we were living in sin, who were just doing our own thing, thinking that that's okay. And if you're any of those today, this, this may be uncomfortable for you guys, but you know what? Like, Christ says it's okay. He's not a God of comfort. Because, see, when he stretches us, that's when we really see what really happened. So today, if, the, if that's you, in any three categories, whether you're a new believer, who, or whether you're a believer who hasn't made that line yet, who, who wants to accept Christ into your heart, if you've been half in or half out, or if you've walked away from the faith and you need to come back, my prayer is that today, before you leave this room, that you just get up out of your pew, you walk down the center aisle, and I will meet you here. And I'd love to just talk with you. Because, whether we realize it or not, there's always that knock. And it's up to us to open it. So I pray that you open your heart today. So as I step down, the worship team is going to lead us in the song. And if that's you today, in any three categories, walk down the center aisle. And for those of you that sitting in the pews, as you receive someone walk down, let's celebrate like that party that that prodigal son got. Let's cheer, let's clap, let's be happy because scripture tells us that when one lost saint returns, that there's a party in heaven. So let's party up like it's in heaven, man. Let's get that small glimpse, that small glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. Won't you come? And I trust as God's speaking into people's life, maybe there's somebody that just didn't feel like coming forward was what they wanted to do today. Um, I trust God's speaking into your life. And here's the thing. On your own terms later, maybe you'll take that moment of surrender. You can do that in your own room. You can do that in the car. I've heard stories of people pulling over, getting out on the side of the road, falling on their knees and crying out to the Lord. God's pursuing us. And he wants that relationship and his unmerited favor and grace. We don't deserve this, but yet he extends it to us. And that's the good news. That's the message. And here's the thing. Just like Ananias was obedient, said, okay, Lord, this maybe is a little outside of our comfort zone. Lance shared it. God is not a God of the comfort zone. Okay. That means it's our job now to take this message and bring it to other people, even if it gets us a little bit out of our comfort zone. 
And so that's a task for all of us as we exit this place. We are the church, not just the building. We are the church, and we take this message of Christ out into our communities. And so have the boldness and the courage that Ananias had to go and speak with Saul and watch God work and how he does some amazing things. And so as we close this time, as we end the service, I want will you lift your hands with me as we uh, close the service and we pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the word that was presented today. Thank you for speaking through Lance the truth of the grace of God and how it's extending into our lives. And then the response to that now is to go and live in obedience to you and outreach to people around us that need this grace in their life. They might be at a point where they're coming to their senses. They just need somebody to extend that invitation. They need somebody to initiate that conversation as they're searching and seeking. Lord, bless us to be a blessing. Resource us to be a resource. And we thank you now for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.